0: Welcome to Room 106. I'm Richard Garlick from Planning Magazine.
1: And I'm John Gagan, also from Planning Magazine.
0: Every fortnight we enter Room 106, the world of pain into which all new planning information is deposited, and extract the key things you need to know.
1: The Government has published more proposed amendments to the Leveling Up and Regeneration Bill as it passes through the House of Lords. We'll highlight those that you need to know about
0: planning application numbers have plunged to what is a record low outside the lockdown period for the past 10 years. We'll investigate.
1: The government has set out how it would implement the planning prohibitions it's promised for developers that have declined to sign its contract, committing them to fix unsafe buildings. We'll explain how they would work.
0: And we'll also round out some other big news stories of the past fortnight.
1: By the end of the show, you should be more than ready for any awkward encounters with a boss at the coffee machine.
0: So, it's time to face the music. Ready to go in? I guess so. Well, here we are again in Room 106.
1: Yes, and here's our senior reporter, Samantha Eckford, and our online editor, Toby Porter. Hi.
0: Hello. So, Toby, if I can turn to you first. You've been looking for some time now at this contract that the Housing Secretary, Michael Gove, has been asking house builders to sign... And it's been uh, he, he's been asking them with the threat of planning prohibitions behind it. I understand um, we've learned a little bit more about that in the last couple of weeks. So, first of all, can you um, tell me how many developers have failed to sign up to the contract at this
2: point? Well, there's six at the moment: Abbey Developments, Avant, Dandara, Emerson, who said they will signing imminently, Galliard Homes, and Ryden Homes. That update is as as of March 24th, but Deluc is usually quite quick at getting names on there when when the ink is dry. And um, what action do these firms face? They face enforcement action if they build out planning permissions for major development under regulations promised by the government. So what's been the government's approach to all this? It's a sort of carrot and stick. The carrot is the government's responsible actors scheme. Which only developers who sign the contract can join. Signatories undertake to make safe those buildings more than 11 metres high, uh, in quotes, known to have life critical safety defects that they constructed or refurbished in the last 30 years, or pay for it to be done. DLUC drew up the contract, first outlined last September, to remove defects of the type which fuelled the 2017 Grenfell Tower fire. It killed 74 residents.
0: OK, so certain firms are being asked to sign up to this scheme.
2: Does it affect all developers? The Responsible actor scheme will later be expanded to cover other firms who developed or refurbished defective residential buildings over 11 metres high and, in quotes again, should pay to fix them, Deluxe says. And Michael Gove, the living up secretary, has gone after some cladding firms since the... Uh, developers are asked to sign the remediation contract.
0: So what's the incentive for developers to sign up for this?
2: Deluxe Responsible Actors Scheme guidance says it will create the right incentives for developers to remediate defects. Importantly, it will also make sure the developers who do so are not disadvantaged compared to other developers who don't sign. What legislation is you using to do this? The Responsible Actors Scheme will be introduced under sections. 126 to 129 of the Building Safety Act 2022, with its regulations brought into effect, Deluxe says, by early summer. Okay, so you've told us about the carrot. What about the stick? Well, the stick is any developer who does not sign for the RAS will be prevented from carrying out any major development through both planning and building control prohibitions, the guidance says. The thresholds for major developments are 10 or more residential units, residential schemes on a site at least half a hectare in size, where it is not known if it will provide 10 units or more, and commercial development creating at least 1,000 square metres of floor space, and development on a site over one hectare in size.
0: And what will they have to
2: do? Non-members will be required to notify the relevant local authority of their prohibited status, sort of black mark if you like, when making planning applications, reserve matters applications, or prior approval applications. And they will also need to notify the local planning authority if they acquire or transfer any land for a major development which has planning permission. Any major development they carry out will be a breach of planning control. The document says, adding that existing enforcement powers and offences will be used. Non-members will also be unable to gain building control approval to start work or completion or final certificates, the guidance says. In some cases, this may result in a notice to terminate or suspend the work, the guidance says.
0: It's very radical, isn't it? Because the idea that you've got planning permission and with planning permission you won't be able to
2: build is quite a big deal. So how's the industry reacted to it? Reading this quote, it's clear they're not particularly happy. A spokesman for the Home Builders Federation said, UK housebuilders are single-handedly providing the solution to the cladding crisis, despite having only built a fraction of the affected buildings and the government's own admission that the regulations of the day were at fault. The HPF continues, Public posturing apart, government has made no progress in securing contributions from foreign developers responsible for many of the buildings, or the suppliers of the cladding at the heart of this crisis. They go on. The Building Safety Act gave ministers powers to target other parties, such as multinational product manufacturers, but yet again, ministers choose to only target British householders. The HBF carries on the responsible actor scheme provides government with unprecedented powers to retrospectively impose conditions on uk businesses such powers have clear implications for investor confidence in the sector and for the international view of uk plc
0: well it is indeed a um, a very strong reaction and uh, i'm sure we haven't heard the last of this so uh... Toby, uh, I'm not sure if this is good news or bad news, but I I look forward to seeing you again in in Room 106 to discuss it further in the future. Right. Well, many thanks to Toby. And now if I can switch back to you, John, and uh, ask you more about this story about the the new low in in application figures. So what, what exactly do the application figures show and how do they compare to previous quarters?
1: Well, according to the figures that were published at the end of last week by the Housing and Leveling Up Department, the number of planning applications received and determined by local planning authorities have both seen big drops over the past year. So the numbers for both categories in the final three months of last year was the lowest recorded during any quarter over the past decade, except for the first three months of 2020 when the first coronavirus lockdown was introduced. Gosh,
0: okay. so it really is a a historic low. What might explain the drop in applications submitted and determined?
1: So the figures show that district level planning authorities received 93,100 applications for planning permission in the final three months of 2022. And this was down 13% from the same quarter in 2021. They also show that councils determined 91,700 applications during the same quarter, which was a fall of 12% compared to the same period in the previous year. Meanwhile, the number of decisions granted by councils, which was 79,500, fell by exactly the same proportion. And over the entire year, ending December 2022, so that's the whole calendar year 2022, authorities received 409,500 planning applications, which was a 14% drop compared to 2021. According to The Guardian, the total for 2022 was the lowest number since before 2006, which is when the government started providing statistics. In terms of decisions across the whole year, 2022, councils decided 385,800 applications, which was a drop of 10% from the previous year. And what might
0: explain the drop in applications submitted and determined?
1: Well, we spoke to Mike Kiley, who's chair of local authority body, the Planning Officer Society, and he told us that the drop in applications, given the economic circumstances, was not surprising. He said the state of the economy, coupled with the uncertainties from a war in Europe, will make many people think again about making large, often risky investments, both in the domestic and the commercial sectors. So we know that application numbers reflect development activity, which is closely tied to the economic backdrop. And during the 2008 credit crunch, there was a huge drop in application numbers, which took some time to recover. But other commentators have highlighted question marks over changes to the planning system and local plan delays, which is something that we've covered a lot in the magazine. The Guardian spoke to Paul Smith, who's the managing director of the Strategic Land Group, which is a land promotion company. He said the uncertainty around where the planning system is heading and what it will look like is a significant contributory factor in this fall. Local housing plans are not being made, and if plans are not being made, then applications will not be submitted and developments will not get built.
0: Okay, yeah, very interesting. I guess people would have probably... Not been surprised about application numbers dropping, given what's going on in the economy. And um, it was very notable in uh, last autumn's um, consultancy market report how optimistic consultants were about this year. Whether this, you know, significant drop in the number of applications will change that sense of optimism, I don't know. But I'm sure that this at least was um, hasn't come as a complete shock out of the blue. So maybe uh, consultants will be fairly sanguine about it. What else do the figures show beyond the application numbers?
1: One measurement closely tied to the number of applications is the number of housing units approved. And according to the release by the Housing Leveling Up Department, their figures show that permission was given for 287,000 homes in the year to December 2022, which was down 9% from 2021's figure of 315,000. And according to the release, this is the lowest annual total since 2015. And that's significant because it's likely to reflect future housing delivery figures. The government wants to build 300,000 homes a year. But most sector experts think we need to have a lot more homes permitted each year to reach this number. So if the number of homes being permitted each year doesn't even reach 300,000, then the government's really got no chance of hitting that target in future years.
0: Okay, well, thank you very much, John. We'll be coming back to you later to hear details of some of the other key stories of the last couple of weeks. Uh, Just a few uh, additional headlines. But before that, Sam, can I turn to you? And uh, it's been a while since we've uh, looked in detail at the progress of the levelling up and regeneration bill. But I understand that in the House of Lords, the government has been making quite a few proposed amendments to the bill. And um, these include what looks like a fairly significant change to the compulsory purchase order regime.
3: Yeah, that's right. There's been a lot of interest in one particular amendment tabled by the government, which would allow ministers to disapply the hope value of land obtained via a compulsory purchase order and see landowners compensated for just the existing use of their land.
0: OK, so what's the context here?
3: So under the current system, landowners can claim what is known as the hope value of development. So this essentially allows landowners to be compensated for the potential use value of their land rather than the value of it in its existing use. The first draft of the levelling up and regeneration bill, which was published last May, proposed a number of changes to the CPO system, including extending the period within which compulsory purchase powers can be exercised. Then last June, the government published a consultation which set out a series of proposed changes to the CPO system. The consultation document said that the current approach to hope value can lead to perverse outcomes, which can artificially inflate compensation, because the valuation assumes that permission will be granted even in cases where the likelihood of this may be much lower. The document therefore proposed that compensation payments should reflect normal market conditions and said that the government would consider allowing local authorities to seek authority from the Secretary of State to cap payments for specific schemes at or just above the existing use value, but only in cases where it can be shown that the public interest in doing so would be justified.
0: Okay, and uh, what does the latest amendment say about how exactly it's going to do this?
3: So this amendment appears to go even further than the consultation document had suggested. The amendment would allow a minister confirming a compulsory purchase order to direct that compensation be assessed on the basis that no new planning permission be granted for the land, but only in certain cases involving affordable housing, health or education schemes. The amendment would require acquiring authorities to submit a statement of commitments to the confirming authority outlining what it intends to do with the land and demonstrating that disapplying hope value would be justified in the public interest. So this could include an indication of the expected level of affordable housing provision, for example. The amendment does say that if the statement of commitments isn't fulfilled or there's no realistic prospect of it being fulfilled within 10 years of date at which the compulsory purchase order became operative, the direction could be reversed on the grounds that the land is not being used as planned.
0: Okay, but that sounds potentially pretty radical and and, and potentially a game changer. If you're saying that a a council can buy a site to be developed for affordable housing at its existing use, not its value as a housing development, then that is really going to make it significantly cheaper, potentially, for councils to buy land for affordable housing. Yes. Okay, so uh, that's really interesting, and I can see why that's prompted an awful lot of interest. What about other amendments that listeners need to know about?
3: Yes, as you said, over the last month or so, the government's published a series of amendments to the bill, including few that would give the Secretary of State new planning powers. So in addition to the CPO amendment, the Secretary of State could potentially be given a new power to allow or even require planning inspectors to conduct proceedings wholly or partly remotely. The amendment states that this power could be applied to any inquiry, hearing, examination, meeting or other proceeding which relates to planning, development or the compulsory purchase of land. A further amendment would allow the Secretary of State to require a local planning authority to reimburse the Secretary of State for costs associated with providing advice on a local plan.
0: Okay, and uh, anything else?
3: The government has also tabled an amendment that would see the power given to authorities to refuse applications from certain applicants extended to cover the whole council area rather than just a particular site. So the bill currently says that authorities can refuse to determine an application for planning permission where the applicant has previously failed to deliver a permission or delivered it too slowly on all or parts of the same site. But this new amendment would permit planning authorities to refuse to determine an application for planning permission in certain cases where there was a previous application relating to land within the authority's area and the development has not begun or has been carried out unreasonably slowly.
0: Okay, so potentially giving a, an authority the power to stop a developer really doing anything in their area or or getting further permissions in their area on the basis of the fact that they don't believe that they've done enough to build out previous permissions.
3: Yes, exactly that.
0: That's interesting. Um, What else?
3: So There's also an amendment which would require authorities to include pre-existing unmet demand for self and custom build housing when calculating their current level of demand, while a further amendment would allow certain bodies to charge fees for advice relating to planning permissions and approvals.
0: And uh, what about Airbnbs? There's been some coverage of that as well.
3: Yeah, so in addition to these amendments, which have already been tabled by the government, the government has suggested that it may bring forward further changes to the bill to tackle problems in the private rented sector. So in response to a question from Liberal Democrat MP Tim Farron last week about what he described as the collapse of the long-term private rented sector into Airbnb... Secretary of State Michael Gove admitted that there was a problem in the private rented sector, particularly in what he described as beautiful parts of the country, where homes are being turned into Airbnbs and holiday lets in a way that stops young workers from being able to live in the areas that they love, he said. He went on to say that the government would be bringing forward some planning changes to the levelling up and regeneration bill, which are intended to ensure that we have restrictions on the way in which dwelling homes could be turned into Airbnbs.
0: Okay, so there's at least one further amendment that we can expect, and who knows, there may be some more. So I guess there's going to be uh, plenty of reasons to keep on visiting the, uh, the very capacious corner of Room 106, which uh, contains the levelling up and regeneration bill. Thank you very much, Sam, and I'll see you back here soon, no doubt. See you soon. Okay, so now it's time to talk to John again, uh, just to complete our roundup of the week's news. John, what else has been going on?
1: So up first, we have ministers proposing to introduce what they call a new critical national priority planning policy presumption for offshore wind developments, according to a new consultation. As part of the government's powering up Britain energy announcements last week, it published a consultation on changes to its set of national policy statements for energy, One key change is the creation of a new policy presumption known as a critical national priority for offshore wind. Another change is that the government has confirmed a revised approach to how greenhouse gas emissions are assessed in nationally significant infrastructure project applications, which would involve ministers not having to consider the operational emissions of individual applications and their contribution to carbon budgets. Next, we have Local Government Minister Lee Rowley approving a 40 hectare solar farm, dismissing an inspector's recommendation to refuse the scheme on the grounds of harm to a valued landscape. We also have plans to construct a 289 flat tower block on Newcastle's East Quayside blocked by the Court of Appeal after a judge ruled that a planning inspector's approach to the scheme's heritage impacts was sufficiently obscure to justify quashing her decision. Meanwhile, Harlow District Council in Essex is facing a legal costs claim of up to £489,000 after its attempts to compulsorily purchase a strategic plot of land were thwarted. Finally, a decision by Spelthorne Borough Council in Surrey to add a 1950s Debenhams department store to a conservation area, thus preventing its demolition and replacement with 226 homes, has been overturned by a judge who found the officer's report to be misleading.
0: Oh Well, thank you very much for that, John. Yeah, I know there were some interesting cases there. I thought the idea of of a local authority trying to stop the demolition of a big department store for housing by putting it into a conservation area was uh, was quite interesting, but it looks like that's been uh, been put a stop to. And uh, it also interesting to see, you know, when when Sam's just been talking earlier about the potential for um, greatly expanded compulsory purchase powers in the future, but maybe a slightly scary story for local authorities about compulsory purchase with that huge cost claim that uh, that Harlow's encountered.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Okay, thanks very much, John. And any stories that were a bit different in the last couple of weeks?
1: Yes. In one of our regular articles, updating readers on local plan activity, we did a story about a local plan in Hampshire that was found sound. And obviously, that should come as a great relief to the council's leadership and you'd think would be a cause of celebration. However, the leader of Ferrenborough Council, Sean Woodward, despite Welcoming the fact the plan has been found sound, also complained that he feels we are providing sites for too many new houses in the borough and he said the approach has been forced upon us.
0: So he's not the first, uh, there seems to be this new, uh, maybe an emerging trend of leaders almost holding their local plans slightly at arm's length after they've been adopted, which is not good news. We probably should add one other bit of news, John, which is that Room One Hundred Six has been nominated for a periodical Publishers Association Award in the Podcast of the Year category.
1: Yes, that's that's really great news.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll hear more about that in a few months' time. But um, we're up against the like of uh, BBC Gardener's World and uh, Empire Magazine. So it's a um, there's some fairly stiff competition on the on the shortlist. But anyway, that was good news. Great. Well, um, I think our work is done. Let's get out before there's any more announcements or decisions.
1: Great. That's another fortnight summarised. Yes. We'll be back with a bonus edition next week when we take a deep dive into the government's proposals to replace its existing system for securing contributions from developers for infrastructure and affordable housing, plus the results of our Women in Consultancy survey.
0: Fantastic. And uh, in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts. And to get a daily bulletin of planning news, plus weekly analysis and specialist bulletins, subscribe at planningresource.co.uk. Look out for the National Planning Summit, supported by Planning, which takes place in London on the 2nd and 3rd of May. And also we're partners in Net Zero Connect, which is to be held in Birmingham in June. Our thanks to producers Hannah Holt from Haymarket Business Media and Daisy Chaku from Rethink, and thanks for listening. Goodbye.